0: The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Well, thanks very
1: much for joining us on our latest podcast. This one is really loaded with some great content. I think you're really going to enjoy it. We will start the podcast in a little bit. With Willie Adamas, you'll find out that the race shortstop has a new roommate and find out also what he's learning uh, during this stretch as we continue to socially distance and stay safe at home during the pandemic. We're also going to hear from Rich Hollenberg of Fox Sports Sun, um, how he is using his time with his family in a positive way. And he also has an interesting story about where he was when the shutdown began. Now, we've talked about it on this podcast uh, a fair amount. The race are doing some really great work in the community as a whole, but we've also tried to highlight some individuals and some individual players on the minor league side. And I don't know if there's a minor league player, maybe in the game, who's doing as much good work as pitcher Simon Rosenblum Larson. We're going to find out a little bit more about his nonprofit, More Than Baseball, and that'll be up in a little bit. And also, we've got a follow-up interview with Thomas Mance, who is the executive director of Feeding Tampa Bay, the Rays and Rowdies and Feeding Tampa Bay were able to complete the goal for a donation drive of raising more than 4 million meals, and we'll get a follow-up as to their needs and how this is certainly going to help. But we start with Willie Adamas, and we found out that the Rays shortstop is right here still in Tampa Bay.
2: I mean, uh, so I came to San Pete, to the house that I, I have been staying at uh, for the past two years, and uh, I came with my gut. And, you know, just being here all the time.
1: How how much does it help to have Manuel Margot with you because the two of you play? Not every player has someone rooming with them that they can work out with every day.
2: Hey, I tell you what, without him, I wouldn't be, I, I don't know where, like, I, I probably would be crazy right now. Like, <laughs> I, like I tell him all the time, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm so, like, grateful that you're here with me because if you weren't here, didn't know what I was, like, what I would be doing, you know. So, you know, I feel really good that he's here with me. You know, we've been playing catch, uh, doing some T work and, and soft dust in the backyard. And, you know, we're just trying to stay in shape here. And we, we have been uh, working out inside the house, so we've been doing everything at home. How, <laughs> uh,
1: how hard is that? What's your routine like? When, when do you do your workouts? What else do you do during the day?
2: So we work out at night at like 7:30 and we do like the the baseball stuff at like 5. So we go so we basically you know he cooks sometimes i cook and after that we play some ps4 and then we go play catch hit then we come inside the house we do the workout routine and then we just eat dinner and keep playing ps4 Who's the better cook? Uh, <laughs> I'll say him because he knows more than me. I'm just learning now.
1: What is it? What's a favorite dish? Because I know you've got some dishes that your mom cooks for you. Can he? Can he replicate your mom's cooking? Nah,
2: nah, nah. <laughs> I don't think no nobody can. But he he does he does a pretty good job. You know, like he he can cook. He got some good uh, seasoning.
1: What's his, What's his uh, favorite dish?
2: So he, he makes some good uh, moro, so that's, like, uh, rice with green peas. Green peas? Yeah. And it's really, really good. Delicious.
1: And you guys are <laughs> staying in shape together. Who's a better video game
2: player? Uh, I don't know. We, like, we pro, like pretty much the same. But he's getting better, though. He's getting really, like, really good. So we, right now we are in a tournament with, like, my friends that they are in in New York, and he's been competing really good.
1: I want to get to that a little bit, but I also want to check on your families because (laughs) I know that, you know, obviously you are very close to them. How are they doing in the Dominican Republic right now, and how difficult is this to be separated? Because I know they were going to come see you on opening day, right?
2: Yeah. They were supposed to be uh, here in March the 25th. But they're doing good. You know, they've just been home, too, over there. You know, they been doing the quarantine and pretty much just staying home, you know. But I'm, I'm just happy that they're safe and, you know, that all my family, you know, besides my parents are safe, too.
1: Is Manuel's family okay, too?
2: Yeah, they're really good, too. So we're just really, really thankful for that.
1: How, because obviously you're watching the news, I'm sure, at times, how different is it here versus in the Dominican Republic in terms of the severity, the seriousness with the disease? Is it different? I mean,
2: no, but there's like less, like so much less people, but people in the DR, they don't, they don't really, really pay attention to like what the government or the public health say, you know, they... Do whatever they want most of the time, but you know I think they are doing uh, okay with that. You know, like staying home, and the disease over there. I think it's getting to the top to to start to go down, but it's not not bad, but it's not good either. Is your sister at home, right? Yes. In the
1: Dominican, or is she was she still in school? How's, how's that all yeah,
2: yeah, she's home cause, because the school is right, ne- right, right across the street. So that's where we live at, right across the street from her school. So she, makes, walks, she walks every day to the school. That makes it a whole lot easier, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But they doing, they've been doing uh, online classes over there too. How
1: tough is this for um, – and who have you stayed in touch with among your teammates? Um, during um, all this obviously you've got a teammate
2: there so that helps a lot yeah so I was uh, talking with Suksugo the other day I talked with Meadows the other day uh, mm, Jose Martinez uh, who else like I try to I try to, uh, to talk to most of the, most of them all the time you know just to check on them and try to see how they're doing. But, like, all the guys that I spoke with, they are, they're good. And, you know, they're trying to stay safe. How much
1: time would you need if they said, okay, we can, we can, you can start practicing again?
2: Like, honestly, I just want to go play. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't even want to go do spring training again. I just want to start playing. But, you know, obviously we need some time for the pitchers to, to get ready. For me, I think in two weeks I'll be ready, or maybe a week. I just need to see some live, live VP, and I'll be good to go. Do you talk to the coaches much, Rodney? and? Yeah, yeah. I talk to them a lot. You know, I talk to Ozzy, Rodney. I talk to Cash the other day, Q. I talk to them pretty, like, pretty much more than the players, though. <laughs> I guess, yeah.
1: What's the biggest challenge in this for you, uh, and you said that obviously Manny helps keep you uh, sane uh, during all this to have someone with you. What's the hardest part?
2: I mean, to not be able to like go to the field and actually like hit BP, take ground balls, see my teammates, you know, joke around with them, and you know, do the normal baseball stuff. You know, I think that's the hardest part about all of this. Eric
1: Neander said that last week, he said, I think this will make the group more hungry. That, you know, you guys did so well last year. You got to game five against Houston. You came in ready, excited, motivated. Do you think this will make you more motivated than it did before, the fact that you were away from baseball for a while?
2: Yeah, I think so. I I I agree with that, you know, because, like, right now, like, all of us, we just want to play, so – Especially like coming from last year, we went to the postseason. Now all this happened, and you know we just want to play. So uh, I agree with Eric, and like personally, I'm I'm hungrier than ever. I just want to start playing and like starting competing, competing with the other teams, and you know competing with my teammates, you know in a in a good way, and. Like I say, I just want to start playing, man. I miss baseball.
1: And we all do. Um, video games don't replace the games. But I'm curious, right. since you have friends in New York that you're playing a tournament with, how are they doing? Because that's the hardest hit area in the whole country. And, and
2: they're, doing, they- they're doing fine. You know, they're trying to stay, you know, inside of the house. They just, they, you know, they've been working, though. They're trying to stay safe. And, you know, like, we talk every day. They say, you know, like, uh, it's getting better over there. So, I guess people, you know, are taking care of each other and, you know, helping each other to stay safe.
1: Has this been a little scary? What was your take when all this happened and baseball stopped? What do you remember?
2: I mean, obviously it's scary, you know, like, scary. I mean, we've been home, like, inside of the house for, like, two months already, so Mm. (laughs) something serious is is happening, and, you know, like, for me, personally, like, that show, like, that shows the world, like, how fragile we are, you know, like, the things that we have to uh, take care, you know, like, the people that we have to show love every day, and, you know, it shows you that none of like none of the, uh, the material things there is not important you know it shows it shows you like what like what things are important to you and your life
1: well that's part of your motto right the way you live your life for people who don't follow you on twitter or instagram um that's really your hashtag that you use a lot right
2: yeah yeah of course of course
1: for people who don't know that Again, just explain that for our fans.
2: The, the no boot set,
1: Yes. <laughs>
2: so, that, yeah, like I said, that's just basically being humble. In the DR, they use a, a phrase. They say, they say no bulto. is when people, you know, when they don't, when they don't show up that, what they have and when they don't – when they not uh, – how, how, how do I say this? When they not um, – cocky, I'll say. Hmm. You know, and they just humble, and they're trying to help people that, that need your help, and all, all that kind of stuff.
1: Have you had any friends or family at all that had to deal with the virus, or has everyone you know been okay?
2: Uh, I mean, I heard, like, I know, I'm like, like, my barber, since I was a kid, he had it, but hmm. he... He's, he's okay now. So a couple of people that I know that, that they lived in New York, they had it. And people from my hometown that lives in New York, like a couple of them uh, died from the virus. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's hard for the families that are uh, you know, going through this when they have someone in their family that had it, that have it, or pass away from it, it's hard.
1: So it's obviously touched to you in a personal way.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'll say that. Mm-hmm. You
1: mentioned your barber had it. Um, mm-hmm. Who cut your hair? I know you don't have to show it to me, but who, who cut your hair during this, this whole stretch here? Did you do it yourself or do you let
0: nah, her go?
2: Manuel did it for me, and I did it for him. So <laughs> 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 so we exchange haircuts here. Blake said he didn't I, recognize you. No, no. <laughs> hey, it was like I did it one time when I when I play in the Dominican summer league. They like they all like they always do it to so, like the 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 rookies, the first years. And when I did it now, I was like, "Wow, I look so much different. Like I don't even look like myself." <laughs> well, my mom, my mom was crying, dying. Like she was dying, laughing. She was like, bro, like you don't even look like you, man. I don't, I don't, I barely recognize you right now. Because I cut my my uh Yeah. My go, my how you say that? Goatee? My goatee, yeah. I shave everything.
1: Now you at least that's coming in back.
2: Okay. Yeah, it's coming back. Yeah. There you go. It, did,
1: <laughs> did with the video games, did
2: you watch Blake play in the uh no, terms? I just watched. I, I watched the highlights. I watched the highlights. But he hit he, you. He, he, was, he, he was hit your lead me. off. Yeah, I know. He, hey, like <laughs> <laughs> honestly, I feel like he's the only guy that rakes with me. He. You can't he hit with, with you. No, me. I, I don't. I don't even have myself in my team. You're kidding I, me. I, I can't. I can't hit with me. I can't. I just. I can't have. A, I can't have me in my team because I can't hit with me. So when you play with the Rays, who hits for you?
1: Who's your hitter? Who's your guy? I know when
2: I play, like when I play with the Rays, I hit with me. But when I play, because we create a team, and so instead of putting me ashore, I have uh, Barry Larkin. I can't. <laughs> I can't hit with me. Sometimes I like I have Lindor and Barry Larkin, but I like most of the time I use uh, Mr. B.
1: And those are two guys who work out with you. Who, who in the off season too, so you
2: know Yeah. yeah.
1: So you, it's like a Hall of Fame league kind of thing? I,
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess so.
1: <laughs> well, hopefully you do well in your, your, uh, your tournament, and hopefully it's not long before we're playing. Uh, I'm guessing for all of you, there's going to be a real great appreciation when you get back on the field again.
2: Yeah, I hope so, because, like, you know, like I said before, you know, I can't wait to go back on the field, you know, and be – with my teammates and you know start playing again start like to competing against the old teams and you know obviously we want to uh put a show for the fans you know and be there like last year you know just make a lot of good memories for for, for the fans and for us and for our families and do our 100 percent every day for them
1: on that end there is a chance that you could play games without fans in the stands, at least to start. Would that be hard for you? Would that be difficult? How would you handle that?
2: <laughs> Honestly, I just want to play. I don't, like, right now, I just want to go back on the field. Like, you know, if in the beginning we don't have fans on the field, like, I mean, I take that it's better than being home and not playing because, like, eventually they, they're going to come back and, you know, everything's going to go back to normal. But Whatever whatever it takes to come back to, you know, to start playing, I take it. I just want to play.
1: I think we all feel that way, Willie, and uh, I look forward to seeing you in person instead Thank of you, on Zoom, man. hopefully sooner than later.
2: Say how for to many for us. All right, I tell him. All right.
1: Awesome stuff from Willie Adamas, and you can really hear in his voice how badly he is uh, hoping that baseball returns sooner than later. And I think the same applies to a member of uh, the broadcast team, and that being one Rich Hollenberg of Fox Sports Sun.
0: We are hanging in there just like everybody else. It's a lot of uh, life skills coaching along the way uh, with digital learning. Uh, The school day doesn't necessarily last as long as it does when the kids are actually in physical school. So uh, as a parent, as you know, uh, with your two daughters, it's it's a little bit challenging as a father, but I'm embracing the time that I get with my kids and my wife because – as you well know also, uh, these would be times where we wouldn't be necessarily mm-hmm. home all the time, whether it's road trips, or studio trips, or what have you, or trips to Tropicana Field. Uh, I'm trying to find the silver linings in, in all this stuff as a lot of us are. And I
1: definitely think the quality family time is certainly a silver lining. Um, how old, for, for our fans who don't know, how old are your kids now, and, and what's been the greatest challenge in all this for, on your side?
0: Sure. So my oldest, Jason, is uh, 16, going on 17 this this fall. He'll be a junior at St. Pete High uh, once they start up again. My daughter is 14 and a half. She'll be 15 in August, and she's going to be starting high school at St. Pete High as a freshman. And then my youngest is just a couple weeks away from turning 11. That's Brian. And uh, he's been the one who's had the, the toughest time of it, to be honest with you. Uh, out of all three kids, the other two are fairly busy with their schoolwork. He gets things done a little earlier, so uh, i 've had to incorporate him in my social media uh, online stuff, uh, trying to have some fun with him. We do something called pick a press pass on my instagram and uh, and Twitter accounts where he reaches into a box and grabs one of the hundreds and hundreds of press passes that i 've gotten through the years and I try my best to remember what I can from that game and we have some fun with it that way. So that takes up some time and provides a little bit of a, a background to some of the times that I'm not home when I, I am now.
1: And it's, and it's a good way for, you know, for guys like you or me to kind of remember good moments when, you know, we did have sports and hopefully it won't be long before we have it again.
0: Yeah, and when I've had a haircut. I don't know, you, know, you can't tell. <laughs> my hair is as long as it's been since I was a freshman in college and just the other night I actually took the scissors to the sides of my hair. It's heresy, but I wanted to, you know, for everybody who's watching right now, I wanted proof that I actually did cut my hair a little bit. Now the rest of this conversation, I'm going with a baseball hat.
1: I have not been as daring. I saw, you know, Willie Adamas got his hair cut, Austin Meadows cut his hair. Uh, Matt Silverman even said he had his hair cut at home. I'm not so daring. I'm, I think I'm going to yeah, wait. It out. I don't have
0: the clippers. I don't have the number two or whatever number it would be. So uh, I just did the sides. Those are the most. When I was growing up, my mom used to say I had bozo curls. If anyone remembers, bozo the clown. That's what I looked like. So I said, enough of that. I, uh, I'm mad enough to give it a shot. What's the worst that could happen? And uh, like a lot of us, I've been wearing baseball hats most of the time anyway.
1: It does grow back. That's the good part about all of this. That's
0: right.
1: <laughs> hey, where were you when all of this started? Because if, if folks don't know from watching you on Fox Sports Sun, um, with the Rays, you do a lot of basketball for ESPN, and I know you did a lot of Big 12 this year, too.
0: Yeah, uh, it's actually a, an interesting story. I was, in hindsight, credited with calling the last full major college conference basketball game of the season. It was the night of uh March I want to say it was March 11th uh because the 12th is when everything started the domino started falling. It was the first round of the Big 12 tournament. I was in Kansas City and that night right before we went on the air the decision was made by the Big 12 commissioner Bob Bolsby to only allow essential members of the team. I think that they set the number at 125 per team that were going to be allowed into the Sprint Center in Kansas City that night to watch the games the next day. So we had, thankfully, a sellout crowd in the Sprint Center. It was a great atmosphere, college basketball, postseason, you can imagine. And we ended up having two fantastic games only to wake up the very next morning. And Kansas and West Virginia and all the other teams that were getting ready to play on Thursday morning found out right before the tip that, unfortunately, they wouldn't be playing. And then, as we all unfortunately know, what happened after that was, you know, in rapid succession. But I remember waking up that morning not knowing what was going to happen if I was going to even be calling a basketball game that night. And as it turns out, uh, the final two college basketball games I called were in my rearview mirror already. So we hung around all day, flew home that night, and I've been home ever since.
1: Were you worried at that point? Um, because I know a lot of, I know some broadcasters who traveled during that whole month who think they might have had it, or, or they believe they might have had the virus, or they got sick at some point in time. What were your concerns, if any?
0: Yeah, it's funny, Neil. Uh, I say that to my wife even to this day. You know, I, I could have had it. Uh, fortunately, I was asymptomatic. So if I did, again, hopefully now I have the antibodies. And I think that that's the great unknown is the biggest fear factor in all this is none of us uh, who haven't been tested or Mm -hmm. didn't show any signs of symptoms really 100% know whether or not we had it. I was certainly susceptible. I mean, I'm on the road with my raise gig and college basketball. I'm probably on the road a total of 200 days a year. So I'm as susceptible as anybody if, you know, traveling through airports and being in big crowds is, uh, is a big common denominator of whether you're going this to get this virus or not. Um, but like I said, fortunately, I was and have been asymptomatic. I actually left from Kansas City, went home, and then flew out to Utah. I had a planned spring break vacation after the Big 12 tournament with my family so i actually was going to meet them from kansas city in utah instead i flew home and met them out there um and what happened was we cut our vacation short but even then there was concern you know Mm -hmm. we were all out in utah who knows what's going on with the airport so we cut our vacation a couple days short and um and the rest is history
1: and gotten a lot of good family time since. I know you're a noted foodie, so has this uh, improved the culinary skills, the the extra time at home?
0: This has, not only for me, who I don't get to cook nearly as much as I love to during the year because of all my travel, uh, but also, like I said uh, at the beginning of our conversation, Neil, I've taken this opportunity as a, a little bit of a challenge to teach some life skills to my children who otherwise might not have gotten that. You know, my wife and I do a pretty decent job when I am home of dividing up the responsibilities and cooking falls into my domain because I love it. And so uh, almost every night during the week with my three kids, I pick one night for each of those three to decide what the family is going to have for dinner and then to help me make that meal. So last night, my, my daughter stepped in. She, she did all the hands-on work. I lined everything up for her. All the ingredients, and we ended up making a portobello mushroom and sun-dried tomato risotto. She loved it. She actually said, that while she was eating it, "This might be my new favorite thing." So it was a win for her, a win for me, and uh, and a win for everyone in the family who got to enjoy a good meal. Favorite
1: meal you like to cook? Or that your wife cooks?
0: Oh, um, my! You know, when I whenever I get a question like that, it's usually if you had one last meal to eat, right? Ooh. What would it be? Um, I would start off with a good Caesar salad, and I would go straight classic Italian. Chicken parmesan with a side of pasta and maybe a nice tiramisu at the end uh, for dessert. Can't leave off dessert.
1: Not bad. Not bad at all. Hey, what's it been like for you without baseball? Um, obviously, we're all missing it in different ways. What are you missing the most right now?
0: Uh, I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to you, Neil. I miss the camaraderie of the, of the press box. I miss sitting two seats down from you and exchanging stories throughout the games and seeing our guy Dukes you know, running the press box as well as anybody in all of Major League Baseball. And all the guys, Topper, two rows in front of us, Mark Topkin, and all the regulars who were there game in, game out at Tropicana Field. I miss collaborating with my producers, Brad Bartle and Kevin Patterson. I certainly miss working with my Two other amigos, Doug Wector in Arrestas de Strada and Trisha on the sidelines. It, it's it's similar to what the athletes say, you know, when they retire. They say, I don't really miss the game. I miss the camaraderie of being part of a team. And more than anything, that's what I miss. You know, I miss being around the guys. I miss the, the, the step-by-step, uh, the routine, if you will, of getting ready for a pregame show and then watching the game pitch by pitch and getting ready to deliver uh, an educational and entertaining post-game show, just like the pre-game show happened 30 minutes before first pitch.
1: And uh, I, I think we're all hopeful still about baseball at some point happening this year. And Eric Neander, the race senior VP and GM, had a conference call at the end of last week where he chatted about the fact that he thinks this will drive the players even a little bit more, make them even more hungry based on how last year ended. What's your take on all that, what you've known about this team over the last few years and how they've grown up?
0: Uh, well, I mean, I, I think the makeup of this team is what makes it special. Uh, that's no secret to certainly to guys like you and me who have been around them all this time. Uh, but I really think that that's what Eric and Matt and, and you even go right up to the top, with Brian Ald and, and even Stu Sternberg, they stress that. They want a good group of guys in the clubhouse, and then everything else comes second and, and tertiary and after that. Uh, so the chemistry, there, there's no question that that helps a team like the Rays. And I can't remember if it was Kevin Cash or Eric Neander who said it, but I, I remember reading recently one of them, if not both of them, saying, I, I think – the time off or coming back from this extended break, like everybody's been faced with If any team's going to come out of it. Okay. I think it's the Rays and I agree. I think their depth, every team's depth is going to be tested. I think you can make the argument. The Rays probably have the deepest 40 man roster and the most talented 40 man roster in the American league, if not baseball. Uh, I think that the depth that they have fortified through the years using that 40 man roster where it's not just, yeah, you're on the 40 man, but you're never going to sniff the big leagues. You know, as well as I do, if you're on the 40 man chances are better than good. You're going to see big league time at some point in a critical situation. We saw it last year when they won 96 games. So I, I think the Rays are built to uh, nobody's built to withstand something like this. Cause no one thought anything like this in our lifetime happen but now that it has happened and we're faced with the realities of coming back in a way that's going to be totally different than any baseball season we've all experienced certainly I think the Rays are ready for that and in in general I've said this from the beginning where I've done radio interviews where they said so when do you think they're going to come back and play I said look Everyone is a genius and everyone's an idiot at this point because no one really knows what the reality is gonna end up being. But at the beginning of this layoff, I thought July sounded like it could be realistic at the time and it's still looking that way. So I'm happy about that. And I think given their druthers, you ask any one of the major league players on any roster if we needed you to be ready in two weeks to play Major League Baseball, could you? A hundred percent of them would say yes. So uh, if it's two weeks or maybe three weeks, I think that's all it's going to take. And then we'll be seeing baseball in the field, however different or the same it is from the baseball that we're used to.
1: Well, whatever it is, we'll be ready for it when it is time for sure. And you mentioned the camaraderie. And I think the neat thing is the players were this past week watching Blake Snell win a uh, video game <laughs> championship on MLB The Show. Have your skills with three kids gotten
0: any better during the stretch? Uh, mine are terrible. I will acknowledge if ever. If anything, Neil, they've gotten worse. And and I'll be quite honest with you. uh, I'll let Blake be the champion of the show. My sons play Minecraft and Fortnite and NBA 2K. Uh, And Rocket League. I don't know, with two girls, I don't know how into video games they are. But my youngest, Brian, is into a sport called Rocket League, which is almost like soccer, but they're playing it in futuristic cars. Uh, Way above my head. I was never good at video games when I was a kid. The Donkey Kongs, the Pac-Mans, all the, I was terrible. I was terrible. Get me out on a field, I'd, I'd fare much better. In front of a video game and a TV set, not so much. They're, they're, the, they're the champions of the house in the Hollenberg household.
1: Well, let's stick to uh, radio and TV for the time being and hope that before too long we're talking baseball. Rich, I so much appreciate some time on our latest podcast.
0: It was great catching up with the and seeing your face, Neil. Hopefully it's in person sooner than later.
1: Certainly we hope to see Rich Hollenberg really soon. Let's switch gears a little bit. And I think last podcast was our first effort to try and incorporate some players on the minor league side in the race organization. And as I've mentioned before, the Rays are doing some great work in the community as a whole with Feeding Tampa Bay, and we'll hear from Thomas Manson a bit, a number of other organizations. But players are doing their fair share of work, too. And I can't think of a minor league player who is doing more than a guy who was drafted uh, in 2018 by the Rays. That is Simon Rosenblum Larson. The organization he is with is called More Than Baseball. And, Simon, we certainly appreciate some time on the podcast.
3: Yeah, thanks so much for having me.
1: You are involved with an organization, a nonprofit called More Than Baseball. How did your involvement start coming after you were drafted in 2018 out of the Rays? And uh, how, how, why was this so important to you?
3: Yeah, um, the story behind my involvement, I got in contact with uh, the founder, Jeremy Wolf. Um, and this was actually before we were anything. The organization was not really in existence yet, but I had gotten in touch with him uh, through a connection um and he was a he had just retired uh in 2018. And he was thinking about trying to sort of start a support network for minor league players. It was this sort of vague project. We were thinking through what that was gonna mean, um, what that could look like. Um, and from that moment it was me, Jeremy, and Slade Heathcott, a former big leaguer with okay. the Yankees. Um, and we were just sort of talking through how we can best find a way to support minor leaguers. Um it's important to me because obviously, you know, I had had friends in minor league baseball um, prior to my own drafting. Um, I kind of knew a little bit about the lifestyle. Um, and when you get into pro ball, I think, you know, everybody goes through it. It's this sort of, wow, like this is not the glitz and glamour that that I sort of expected it to be. But again, like obviously you get sort of a primer if you know somebody in minor league baseball beforehand. But um it's hard. It's, it's hard. And I, you know, I felt like there's guys out there who could use a support network to some extent. And Jeremy and Slade both felt the same. And so we worked together to sort of build a nonprofit that was built to provide minor leaguers with the things that they need.
1: Which is tremendous. And there are a lot of people who would say, you know what, I'm a professional baseball player. When I get to the big leagues, here's how I'm going to use my platform. You're doing it now. Why, why do it now? Because obviously you're in the throws of trying
3: to also make it to the major leagues i mean it speaks a lot about your character i i mean i my my family my my dad raised me to sort of believe that uh you're always in a position to help you don't have to wait to get somewhere to be in a position to help and um you know obviously as a minor leaguer i don't have a huge platform but we found a lot of support from the community i mean the the rays have been incredibly supportive um, the other other major league teams have been really supportive. There's been major league players that have jumped on board and helped. So we received a big donation from Adam Wainwright, from Daniel Murphy. Um, so we've had, you know, a lot of support from the baseball community. And I think, you know, it, it just speaks to sort of, baseball is a family broadly. And like, everybody goes through the minor leagues and it doesn't get talked about a lot, but like, there's some guys down there that need some help. And I think, you know, for me, it was it was sort of, there's no reason for me not to push on this. There's been no reason for me not to help, uh, you know, build something like this. Um, and, you know, there's been a, a big outpouring of support from fans, from players, and from organizations. So it's been really great so far.
1: You mentioned Adam Wainwright um, and also Daniel Murphy, but Adam, I know, specifically helped during the pandemic. What are the things that you've been trying to do during the pandemic? And give our listeners or fans an idea of how many people you've been able to help and how.
3: Yeah, um, so the first thing that we did during the pandemic, and this was sort of right at the cusp of it before we knew about any of the um, sort of stipends or things that might be coming in, um, we worked to create a grocery reimbursement program. Um, So we were able to provide grocery reimbursements to 113 players. Uh, We gave away almost $9,000 to ball players who were basically in tough spots and, and needed some money for groceries. Um, there's a couple of good stories that came out of that. One player, his wife's a nurse, and he wanted to make her a nice dinner to thank her. Um and so we were able to cover that cost. Um, there's been, you know, a number of players in, you know, the Dominican Republic in Venezuela, where food is not necessarily like in the United States, we think of like seeing an empty shelf as as a crazy thing. In Venezuela, empty shelves are, are commonplace, and particularly during a pandemic, there's been some real difficulties getting food. So we were able to send money to players so they could purchase. You know stocks of food for them and for people in their community um so we've been using trying to use funds that we've raised to help players in that respect and then beyond that so that was about eight thousand dollars nine thousand dollars that we gave away wainwright gave us two hundred fifty thousand dollars which is a totally different uh you know ballpark of money but we were able to key your market for cardinals minor leaguers so we have been uh, processing some need-based grants within the Cardinals organization, and we're going to be sending out, uh, you know, an average grant of over $1,200 to over 200 Cardinals minor leaguers. Um, in total, I, I, I mean, our numbers somewhere at 650 players total that we've been able to help. Um, during the COVID pandemic, we're actually going to be launching a uh, player grant program league-wide starting on May 31st, so we're going to be... You know, we're fundraising now. We're going to be giving away as much money as we can to minor league ballplayers in need starting on May 31st.
1: That's incredible. Um, how have you, in addition to Adam, how much money have you guys raised overall? And is it all from, is it from grants? Is it from donations? Is it all from the private sector?
3: Um, we've raised close to $500,000. I believe we're at 480000 is the number right now. Um, We've had a corporate donor uh, give a $100,000 matching grant. We've had uh, Daniel Murphy give $100,000 to provide help to minor league families. Uh, we've had you know private donations. We've had a $10,000 matching gift, a couple of sort of smaller gifts at $1,000 or $500 here and there. Um, and then basically just fundraising on the ground for the rest of that number. So uh, we've been working with Our Baseball Life, uh, who does some, they do some really amazing work helping out minor league families. Uh, They've helped us fundraise. We believe there's going to be more sort of large sum donations from major league players in the pipeline. Um, So there's been, I mean, again, when I tell you there's been a a sort of resounding support from the community, there's really been uh, a, a great network of people that have stepped up to support here.
1: You're doing so much for others. How are you handling things yourself personally during the pandemic? And what's been maybe the most difficult part about this
3: for you? Yeah. I mean, obviously staying in shape is its own adventure when we're, you know, sort of under stay at home orders. Um, There is a big open grassy field that I've been running and throwing into a fence at. Um, I built a squat rack with my uncle in the basement out of two by fours, uh, borrowed a bar and some weights. So I've been staying in shape. I've sort of gotten into a routine where, you know, I'm working my work days with more than baseball um, I'm getting, you know, two, three hours of baseball training in on a daily basis. And, you know, from time to time, we'll get out and be able to go hike in state forests, which are open. I'm in Wisconsin. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's different. It's not what I want to be doing in April and May. I would <laughs> much rather be on a ball field, um, as I'm sure everybody else would be. But again, you know, I, you know, we're doing what we can to help, um, and staying inside as part of that. Uh, what we're doing at More Than Baseball is part of that. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's an adventure for everybody. I think everybody has their own sort of story, but it's been interesting.
1: You even had an interesting adventure just to get home. Am I right? I thought I listened to a podcast that, where you detailed your story.
3: Yeah, I, so I, took, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do during this. I didn't, I didn't know how long the shutdown would be. I didn't know sort of – and obviously nobody knows any of this. Um, and as I was leaving – well, I, as, I was, as we were told spring training would be shut down, I was deciding whether I wanted to go home right away, whether I wanted to uh, sort of stick around in Port Charlotte. I had a host family that I was staying with there. Um, the Nylanders, they're wonderful. They've been big supporters of more than baseball as well. Um, but I was sort of up in the air. I was sitting around sort of trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and I ended up deciding to go back to Wisconsin. My car is still in Port Charlotte, so <laughs> that is its own sort of – Ordeal, I guess. I'm gonna have to go back and get that at some point. Um, I was hoping I would go get it when we start playing, but um, we'll see what happens with that.
1: But you're, I mean, wasn't there a unique part to you, even the drive where you, you know, you, I, it was someone in your family, kind of immunocompromised?
3: Yeah, my so my I, my the person I lived with in the off season, my uh, college roommate, is immunocompromised. I was planning on going back to live with him, couldn't do that. My grandmother is 94, and my dad lives with her now. Um, so I wasn't going to go back there. Um, but my aunt and my uncle who live in Madison where I'm, I'm from, um, they offered to let me stay. So I've been here for, it feels like two years, but, uh, six weeks now, seven weeks. Um, so they, they, they've been super generous and opened their doors to me, but yeah, no, I haven't really seen my dad much, have not seen my grandma at all. So, you know, it's par for the course for COVID.
1: It is. Um, and you know, you mentioned generosity. I think you're being more than generous with your time and your resources. And I hope that folks go to the website, morethanbaseball.org, where they can learn even more about the organization, what you're doing and what you have planned in the future.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, and we're sort of open to anybody who's interested in, in getting involved. So uh, our social medias are mtb underscore org on Twitter and Instagram. And You shoot us a message there, send us an email through our website. Um, We are definitely excited to, you know, keep growing our network and getting people involved.
1: Simon, congratulations on the great work you guys have done so far. Uh, Keep it up. Uh, Again, it's a shining example for everybody.
3: Yeah, Neil, thanks so much for having me.
1: That is Simon Rosenblum-Larsen. Again, he is doing some really, really great work, touching to hear what he is doing. Um, And it really also has been touching to see what the Rays are doing in the community. And uh, the Rays and Rowdies, uh, you may have known, worked with Feeding Tampa Bay uh, to complete a donation drive and raise more than $400,000, which means more than 4 million meals uh, here in the Tampa Bay area. And that said... Uh, we've got a chance to speak with the executive director of Feeding Tampa Bay, and that being Thomas Mance.
4: Yeah, I think, you know, again, Neil, thanks for having me on. We appreciate the opportunity to talk to your audience. Um, uh, if you want to talk about an incredible group that supported us in ways we never could have imagined, it's not just the Rays Rowdies in your organization, but the fans that really stepped in and helped us achieve what, what ended up being a total of, you know, the Rays provided ultimately four hundred and I think 14000 so it was over even the original goal. Um, and so for us, that translates, as you said, into millions of meals. And if you're a person that ends up with that meal on your table today, if you're a person that's scared that you're not going to be able to feed your family and you get that meal today, it's, um, there's no way to talk about how important that is, right? Uh, and so we can't say enough about the incredible support. But the other part that I think was so critical to us were two things. One is Right out of the gate, the Rays stepped out and said, how can we help? What can we do? So, you know, Jen Tran called me maybe day three or four of this crisis and said, what can we do? And I can't tell you how important that is uh, because people always say thank you to Feeding Tampa Bay for what we're doing. But we do that because folks like the Rays and Rowdies provide us the resources. And someone like Jen to step out and say, hey, we can use your help or we're glad to help you. And, and can you use our help? I just can't tell you how important that is. Um, Uh, Because we were being asked to respond to a crisis and we didn't yet know what our resources would be. I think the second thing that's critical about this is that the Rays and the Rowdies enjoy a unique platform upon which you guys stand, right? We're never going to have the cachet or awareness or following of the Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, You guys are an uh, award-winning, successful franchise that has millions of fans and followers. So you all stepping out in a very public way and saying, hunger matters. Mm-hmm. Food insecurity matters, and we're going to put our weight behind that. In fact, I, I think it may be true that more than any other cause, you guys put your support behind folks getting fed. That allowed us a platform, Neil, that we think a lot of others came in behind that, mm-hmm. um, uh, both publicly and, and privately, that said, okay, the Rays are doing this, we'll come along beside that. And I think that's harder to put a number on, like $414,000 in funds. Uh, But I think that value was uh, huge. I think the impact was huge.
1: And you guys have also worked with the Rays to use Tropicana Field as an area where people can receive
4: food too. Yeah, one of our greatest concerns in all of this is we did some survey work early on uh, and that we're continuing to do at our mass distributions that show about 70% of the people in those food lines had never been in a food line before. So stop and think about that for a moment. One of the things that we would say to you, and I think you would know this, uh, Neil, is that you know somebody that has lost a job. You know somebody that is economically challenged right now. And some of those folks are ending up in a food line that never, ever, ever thought they'd be there. So think about somebody six weeks ago that was sitting in their job, doing their work and you know uh the coronavirus was something that was separate and apart from their world that they were just half paying attention to and all of a sudden it came in and torpedoed the side of many lives and so we want to make sure we connect with as many of those people as possible because they've never been in a food line before using Tropicana Field which is a well-known spot uh around wrapped around the Rays brand in particular there um allowed us to create a very, very public place to say, hey, if you need resources, come here. Um, Folks show up. We don't care about where they're from, why they're there, what their circumstances are. But each family leaves with three or four days worth of groceries, good produce, uh, good protein, uh, items that are expensive in the store, and they can go home and at least know for those next three or four days, they're going to be okay. And you're doing that for the next couple of weeks, the Tropicana Field, yeah, right, we're on Saturdays. Yeah, I think. So we've been doing it through the month of April. I know we're planning on the month of May. I do know the TROP has other resources or other uh, uh, needs that it might be uh, pulled away for. And so we get that. But we'll be there as long as we can uh, because, again, it presents to us a terrific opportunity to reach a lot of folks. How much greater is the need now uh, for folks than, let's
1: say, before this happened?
4: Let me share with you, so I, you know, we'll assume all baseball f- people are numbers wonks, right? For those of <laughs> us kids that love statistics, right, uh, that grew up looking at baseball stats, we'll use food banking stats, right, uh, as a way of substituting. So think about it this way, Neil. When we started this crisis, the unemployment rate in Florida was around 2.8%. That meant in our 10-county area, and that 10-county area really overlaps your viewing area perfectly, right? It's, it's uh, <laughs> almost an exact coverage. In those 10 counties, um, we had about 625,000 folks who were considered food insecure. And there's a whole lot that goes into that, but that means folks that don't economically have the ability to take care of all their bills. Just with the unemployment rate changing from 2.8% to 4.4%, and we haven't seen the new numbers yet, Mm -hmm. we went from 625,000 people to 900,000 people. And so think about that. Overnight, our responsibility grew by a third. And we're expecting that to continue to grow because when the new numbers come out in May for the month of April, we will have 7 or 8 or 9% unemployment. In certain sectors, unemployment rates are hitting double digits. So we're going to see the need continue to explode. We think, and we don't mean this as a depressing comment, we mean it as a real comment, we think over the next 90 to 120 days, most families will struggle a lot. If you think about our world, and again, you know this, the end of May, or excuse me, end of March, most people got their last paycheck. They got government stimulus checks in the month of April, which was great. Uh, But now we're in May and June and July. And while Florida has reopened their economy, uh, there are a lot of businesses that still can't open. And there are many businesses that are only opening partially. And so the real economic challenge felt by many families will be this summer. And we think the need will be substantively higher one of the reasons why we appreciate you doing this follow-up story is it allows us to continue to say uh, the crisis in some ways, medically, maybe we've hit a peak. We've not hit the peak of the economic crisis. That one we believe is yet to come. There's two areas then to hit on. One, if people are in a good position and maybe they haven't donated
1: yet, there still is going to be a need from your standpoint, correct? And then B, if people are also have, have not been to feeding Tampa
4: Bay and have a need for food, you want to make sure they know where they can go. Yeah, I think there's, and there's a third one. So the first is, yes, if people have means to, uh, to donate, we would appreciate that. We expect an impact, this crisis to impact families for at least a year. So again, more statistics, the average family we tend to support and the average family in the state of Florida has about six or $700 worth of savings. Think about that. Mm-hmm. They're going to burn through that pretty quickly. And so it's gonna take a long time to rebuild their homes and their lives economically. So even after jobs come back, you have to go back and back pay bills, catch up on bills. And there's gonna be a whole lot that folks have to do. We wanna to continue to provide food into the household that you know, takes away, think about, a, we give someone groceries at the TROP on Saturday, that's probably $75 worth of groceries if they have to go pay for it. We're happy that that takes that pressure off their, uh, their monthly uh, expenses. We plan on doing that for a year, Neil. Maybe not at the Trop, but we'll have to continue to support people. So, yes, if folks can donate funds, we'd appreciate it. Number two is if folks can continue to volunteer. So all the people that are giving food out at the Trop on Saturdays are volunteers. Here at our warehouse, we need volunteers. And so if folks are healthy and well and want to get out and socially distance and, you know, with proper P.P. and E., For PPE, they can support folks. We can make sure you're masked, gloved. But if you want to volunteer, we can use that. And maybe, as you mentioned, most importantly, if you need food, we want you to be able to find it. We support throughout our 10 counties, 500 different charities that are giving out food. Along with that, we distribute some 40% of our food ourselves, like at the Trop on a Saturday. All of those things you can find in two places. First is our website, feedingtampabay.org. You can go to the find food page and there's a map. You can punch your zip code in. It'll tell you where somebody is in your, your area. Number two is follow our Facebook page. Uh, you can find out what we're doing, where we're doing it. We post all our mobile distributions there because God forbid someone doesn't get help as a result of needing it because of lack of information. And I'd share further I think your, you know, your listeners may know this, but there are a lot of other needs that crop up right now. I would also write down two one one. You know, it's our area's contact for a lot of different support needs, and so you can also call two one one to find out what is happening in and around your area, also, and they can direct you to other resources if it's more than just food.
1: One other thing I wanted to touch on is the the supply chain, um, because I've been seeing a lot nationally. And we're farmers because you know they can't get it brought to the supplier. Have had to waste food. How is feeding Tampa Bay and other organizations helping so that it gets to people who are in need without the food being wasted?
4: Yeah, it was it was heartbreaking. I think for everybody to see that particular, you know, challenge show up. So. You know, Again, for your listeners and viewers, we have provided food from farmers for many, many years. Each year, we take in actually tens of millions of pounds of produce that would otherwise be destroyed. And so we've been working at that for a long time. Uh, We haven't been able to get all of it. Not any food bank can, but we've been getting better and better about gathering it. But what you had happen in April was a unique set of two circumstances. One is need skyrocketed, as we discussed a moment ago. But also, suddenly, farmers had everybody and their brother cancel their orders. So, think about virtually every mm-hmm. restaurant closed, right? Uh, the TROPS stopped having games. And so, the great food you all serve there. Uh, all other arenas, stadiums all stopped immediately. Conventions stopped. All of those things that millions and millions of pounds of produce went into suddenly created an excess that we had never seen. We worked hard to get as much as we could. You may have seen a great organization like Public stepped in to help us. Mm-hmm. Others stepped in as much as they could, and we gathered, but we were never built to, to gather that kind of volume. And so we've gotten as much as we could. We'll continue to do that. I think at, uh, at our giveaways on Saturday, this, uh, this upcoming Mega Pantry Saturday, I think we'll have some, I saw public trucks delivering some uh, mm-hmm. milk that they had picked up, picked up from a dairy farmer this morning. So we'll continue to gather as much as that as we can again, as probably most of your viewers and listeners know, the growing season in Florida really stops now, uh, which is curious to those like you and I that grew up up north. Uh, The growing season was always the summer. Here, it's the opposite. It's the winter. Uh, So we'll continue to get produce, but it won't be, we won't have the same situation in our farms where it's lying fallow in the field.
1: Thomas, I hope that uh, people will go to feedingtampabay.org. If they need help, they can find it there. If they're looking to help, they will do it. And Thanks
4: for all the great work that you guys are doing right now. Well, thank you, Neil. We're happy to do it. And as I've said before, and I want to say again, we can only do the work we can do when we have partners like the Rays and the Rowdies come alongside us. And, and Neil, I have an ask of you. I would like baseball to start now. Can you please make that happen? I miss sitting in the stands. I miss peanuts. I miss all of that. Uh, boy, we can't wait till our national pastime comes back. Uh, so I'd appreciate it if you get that happening soon.
1: And I think Thomas certainly speaks for all of us with his thoughts. And hopefully baseball is a whole lot sooner than later as we continue again to socially distance and stay safe at home. A couple of notes. Uh, first we'll find out if Blake Snell is listening all the way, a formal congrats to him, uh, on this podcast for him winning the MLB, the show players league championship this year. And, uh, Hopefully, that's a sign of positive things to come for him and for the Rays, for that matter. Um, Also, the Rays, we mentioned community work. Uh, The Rays have continued their reading with the Rays program. So if you're looking for something for the kids to do during the course of the summer where they can also stay socially distant and safe, certainly reading is a great way to do that. You can go to RaysBaseball.com slash reading to find out more. Um, I want to thank all of our guests on the podcast who joined us today. And those included, of course, Willie Adamas, as well as Rich Hollenberg of Fox Sports Sun, Simon Rosenblum Larson, and his organization More Than Baseball. Find out more at morethanbaseball.org and also Thomas Mance of Feeding Tampa Bay, which is at org. Our next podcast will be on Friday, an alumni podcast. You're not going to want to miss this one. We'll talk a little placata with Carlos Pena. Enjoy that. And in the meantime, stay safe. Uh, And we will chat with you soon.